Hey, so hopefully you're joining me having listened to the teaching that I shared on Sunday morning, kicking off our new series called Interrupt. And this video is some additional teaching that I want to share with you, just digging a bit deeper into some of the the message of part of that series and looking at some of the passages that we talked about on Sunday in a bit more detail. So if you haven't yet listened to the teaching from Sunday morning, why don't you just pause this and go over to our YouTube channel at Zeo Church and you can pick up the teaching from Sunday morning because I'm not going to recap that here. I want to move on and do some extra stuff on the end of it. So if you've not listened to that yet, do go over and listen to it first. But you know, the story that I shared on Sunday of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, it's one of my favourite stories in the Gospels because it's such a human moment. This story of two dejected, disappointed, demoralised human beings trudging their way back to their old life, thinking it's all over, all hope is lost, it's gone, it's done, it's dead, it's buried. Everything that they gave their life to was a mistake because it's all over. And this moment when Jesus joins them on the journey and changes everything by giving them a new understanding of what's happened and ultimately a new hope, a new direction. He directs them into a new phase of their life. He helps them to realise that actually this moment is about one of potential and possibility where God is about to do something amazing. He takes them out of their human understanding and opens their eyes to something else. I love the turnaround from despair to hope, from confusion to clarity and that total change of direction as they're walking one way. But by the end of the story, they're literally running back into what it is that God's about to do. But they so nearly missed it. And that's another human thing about this moment, isn't it? As they look back after Jesus has left them and they muse to one another, like, why didn't we see it? Shouldn't we have known that something was going on when that guy was talking to us on the road? And I love God's grace in that moment that he doesn't just say, oh, well, they missed it. They went up to it and move on to somebody else. He journeys with them. He helps them understand it. He gives them what they need. But it's got to make you wonder, are there opportunities that we might sometimes miss where God has to step in and say things louder, bigger, in different ways to catch our attention? Could we be more effective in our journeying with God, in our bringing of something of God to the world, if we got better at spotting those moments when our hearts burn inside us, just like they do in Luke 24, verse 32? And you know, the, the Greek word that Luke uses here is one called kaio, and it, it describes this burning of passion, of emotion, of something in them. Also can refer to a light being switched on, like I said on Sunday, like a light bulb moment. Um, we love to talk about passion in zeo because zeo is also a Greek word that describes a passion, an emotion for something that matters so much to us that it changes our lives. And I love the way that the Greek language uses words that describe other physical phenomena to try and explain something that we're feeling in ourselves as part of our connection to and response to the spiritual, as part of how we experience what it is that God's doing in any given moment. You know, I've struggled myself to find language to put to those things before. People who know me will know I'll talk sometimes about having tingly fingers 
in a moment. I mean, my fingers aren't literally tingling. What I mean is I, I just, I can sense that there's something that God's doing here. There's something to press into, something we need to pray into, understand more. Sometimes I'll talk about the, the atmosphere feeling like it's changed. I'll talk about how it feels like the colour of the room around me has changed. I mean, it hasn't literally changed, but I'm trying to describe what it feels like when suddenly I become aware of this extra perspective, this dynamic, something that God is doing in a moment. I have a good friend called Sean. Sean's a Baptist minister and he's written this book called Putting on the Wakeful One. Sean is an expert in contemplative prayer and practice and his book is about how we actively and proactively become better at watching, at waiting on God. How do we grow our ability to sense and hear what it is that God's doing in any given moment? And Sean talks in his book about five basic senses that human beings have. Our sense of smell, of hearing, of sight, of touch and of taste. Those five basic senses that we have physically. But Sean also talks about how neurobiologists would talk about three more. So you thought you only had five, you actually have eight senses. Good on you. The extra three are these. Your awareness of what's going on in your own body your awareness of your thoughts and feelings that you're experiencing. And thirdly, your awareness of the thoughts and feelings of other people. We would call that empathy. And these last three are very much sensations, senses that we can learn to grow. We can get better at being connected with. Senses like uh, taste or touch are much more instinctive things that we just have and take for granted. But these three senses are things we can learn to fine tune to get better at using. And Sean talks about a ninth sense, which is our awareness of the presence of God. And this sense describes how we experience God through our own bodies, how we detect and sense the presence of God, the actions of God on our physical material world. And this experience of the things of God and the Holy Spirit through our bodies is what people are talking about when they talk about the embodied gospel. And as one guy, Alistair McGrath, he puts it like this. He says, for human beings in this world, the transcendent is accessed and the spiritual life expressed through the medium of our material bodies. That's how we connect with God, because we are physical beings. We experience God through our physicality. And, you know, some of us have a better sense of smell or taste than other people. You know, there are some people who are those super tasters who can detect like bitterness really powerfully in anything that they eat, but also are amazing at things like wine tasting or coffee tasting or chocolate tasting, whatever you fancy, because they can pick out all the individual tastes in a flavour. They've got this extra ability. And in the same way, I think some people are born with heightened spiritual sense. For some people, that is their special gifting. It's the way God made them. We know people in our world who are like that. But also the Bible talks about some people like that. And actually that same word, kayo, is used to describe John the Baptist in John 5.35. It's a good example of this. It says that John was someone who was lit up. He carried this light because he was so good at sensing what it was that God was doing in a moment. 
But for all of us, we can grow our ability to do this. Just like we can grow our ability to connect with our own thoughts and emotions or the thoughts and emotions of other people, we can get better at detecting what God is doing. And we need teaching and help from other people. As children, we have no idea how to understand our own thoughts and feelings or those of other people. But we get better at it because other people who are further along that journey than us teach us and help us to grow that ability. So how do we grow our ability to understand and connect with God in those special moments? You know, I remember once when James and I were out walking before we had kids and we used to walk a lot more and we were in the middle of the Yorkshire Moors out in one of those wilderness spaces where all you could see is green and sky. There's no human beings, no roads, no signs of civilization. And we're walking, enjoying the beauty of that moment. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, in the horizon, in the corner of our vision, we see one sheep. And it's just boing out it comes and it's running across our, our sort of scope of vision, our field of vision. And as we're watching it, suddenly boing, there's another one and another one and another one. And it felt like in literally in seconds, the scene is transformed from one where there's nothing to one where suddenly there's this bizarre just group of hundreds of sheep all running across our field of view. And we look round to see why, where are they going? And then, only then do we see the farmer because way over in the corner of the horizon of what we could see, there's a farmer and he's blowing a whistle. Now our ears couldn't even perceive that sound, but the sheep could. We didn't understand the significance of that moment, but they did. I assume it was dinner time or something, but he's blowing the whistle and they've dropped everything in that moment. Whatever they were doing, they've heard this and they've responded immediately and they have not just strolled, but run to him because they've learned about the significance of that person and of that moment. And how have they learned? They've learned through experience because this isn't the first time, presumably this has happened. They've learned that if they respond to the call of their farmer, that there's something to be gained, something exciting to be accessed in that moment. And Jesus uses a very similar analogy when he describes how we can grow more attuned to our spiritual sense. It's in John 27 verse 10. And he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And that word to know that is used in that that verse, it's the same word that I talked about on Sunday. This word to know that has a wider meaning that we come to know something through our personal experience of it. Because head knowledge is great, but it doesn't do everything. It's something about our personal experience, the heart knowledge of taking on board things that we've read and learned and pondered and chatted about to experience it ourselves through our own lives, our own walk with God, our relationship with God. That's what is life changing. So there's a, a famous verse that Matt talked about a week ago in the Sunday morning service from John 8.32 that says that when we hear the truth, the truth changes us. The verse says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And guess what? That 
word to know the truth is the same word that means not just knowing head knowledge but to have a personal experience so we hear it we know it but not just in a headway we take on board the truth we have a personal experience of it we come to understand it through our own walk with God and that's what's life-changing and that's what we need isn't it we want a faith that is life changing. We want a faith not just that gives us some wise thoughts about how to do life. We want a faith that brings that extra thing to our world, to the world of people around us, the miraculous, the breakthrough moments, the thing that helps us to understand what this life is all about, to get through life's difficulties, to access the good things that God longs to give us. There's another famous verse in the New Testament that uses that word to know through personal experience. And it's in a letter that's written by a guy called Paul to one of the early churches. And he's describing the mysteries of life. Those many baffling things that we just don't get that are so hard to understand when we're trying to follow God. And he's talking about how there's so much that we don't understand. And this is a famous verse, so you might have heard it, even if you've never read any of Paul's letters. It's from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. And the most famous translation of it says this, Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And Paul is saying here that although we don't understand the full picture, we only see it in part, there will come a day eventually when we will reach our ultimate destination and fully understand. Another translation, the New Living Translation, puts it like this. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. And that word used to say that I will know everything completely as God knows me completely is that word to be fully known because of personal experience. God knows us that well because he has journeyed with us. He has that deep understanding of who we are. And as we journey with God, as we grow our experience of him, we come to know him better. And that helps us understand some of the big mysteries of life and of spirituality and of this world that we live in because we're all on that journey somewhere between mystery and full understanding we won't get to the full destination um, and, until we're in heaven and we're with God but we're all somewhere on that we go up and down some days I feel like it's all mystery other days I feel like I'm, I'm understanding more of what it is that God's doing what he's saying what he's speaking we're all somewhere on that path. But as we grow and learn more about God, as we journey more with God, as we get to know him better, our understanding and our clarity grows. We recognise God better and we understand more. So the three things I talk about on Sunday are the three different ways that we can have revelation, that increased understanding of God, of what he's doing, of what he's speaking in a moment. Our instinct, our spiritual reaching for God, our experience of, of, of the moments when God is doing something significant and how we sense that ourselves in our physical bodies. 
our personal experience of journeying with and getting to know God, forming friendship and relationship. And finally, our logical, rational learning and studying, our reading, our understanding God better, our pushing into deeper the things of God so we can ponder them, discuss them, share them, learn and study them so that we can learn to see the full picture of what God is doing. But perhaps the most amazing thing of all of this is how God journeys with us, because that's what happens in this story. You know, Luke tells us that Jesus draws alongside those two disciples and he does the same for us. So many people say to me, what if I miss it? What if I miss what God is doing? What if I've already missed what God is calling me to? But it isn't that binary, you either see it or you miss it. God's grace is so big that if we do miss things in a moment, if we need more to see, to notice something that he's doing, or if we need better explanation or a longer journey, whatever it is we need, he's up for giving us that, for walking alongside us. The word that Luke uses when he says that Jesus walked with those two disciples is one that implies that there was a purpose to that walk. It was about a significant transition and, and it was more than a physical transition. I know they went from Jerusalem to Emmaus and ultimately back to Jerusalem again because Jesus changed their direction. But that transition in the moment was about a spiritual journey that these guys were on that Jesus was enabling. One that changed their life's direction for the better, that introduced new opportunity and possibility for them and for their future. So we can be reassured that God's grace is big, that his love for us is massive, that he will give us what we need to understand. But at the same time, we can do our bit. How do we grow our ability to sense what God is doing in a moment? How do we make ourselves more interruptible? Sean in his book talks about three things. The first thing is intention. We need to make a decision to do this, to be up for being interrupted, to transform that intention into action, to make decisions that change our routine, our rhythms, to have a motivation to do the things that will grow this stuff, making space in our day, practicing things that grow our awareness with God, spending time with God, doing relationship and friendship with God to get to know him better. And yes, reading, learning, studying, investigating the things of God, whether that's just reading the Bible or reading good teaching, listening to podcasts, whatever it is that you do to enable that. I wonder how you could do more of that. Maybe this season is one where you have more time on your hands than usual. Some people do, some people don't. If you do, maybe there's some things you could build into your lockdown routine that are about creating space to spend with God or growing that skill of sensing God in a moment. You know, a year or so ago during Lent, I made a commitment to every day do this, to spend a moment praying and asking God who he wanted to speak to. Who did he want to share a message with? And I asked and I listened for a word or a picture or an encouragement. And then I committed to say to God, who do you want to send that to? And to send it, to give someone a call or send them a message or an email or whatever it was. And I did it most days, not every day, but I did it most days. 
And the amazing thing was, God spoke through that stuff so much more than I ever thought that he would. People saying, wow, actually that really caught me at an opportune moment or I'd been asking God for that and, and that was a real answer to a prayer or that really encouraged me and got me through something. It was amazing. But more than that and more self-centeredly, it changed me for the better. Because when I stopped doing that deliberately every day, I noticed that I had become better at noticing those moments in my days. And, and subsequent to that, I got much better at suddenly just realising a word or a picture or a thought or a person had popped into my mind and saying to God, is there something in this? Do, do you want to say something to that person? Do you want me to send this message to someone? And ever since I deliberately spent 40 days growing that skill, I've done it more naturally just as part of my instinct. I've got better at being interrupted by God. Do you need to do something similar? Number two is about attention. So number one, intention. Number two, attention. Because we need to grow our ability to notice that burning within us, that spiritual sense. So in his book, Sean says this, when we come into the presence of our creator, all our senses resonate with that experience. So our intention here must be to practice coming to our senses as often as possible. We need to learn how to inhabit our own bodies again. I wonder, do you have time to actually know what you're experiencing or thinking or feeling in most given moments? Have you become so attuned to the needs and thoughts and feelings and experience of other people that you don't have the time or headspace for your own? So many of us do. Our 21st century world is so busy, so demanding, so reactive that we have lost the ability to make space and pause and think, what am I needing in this moment? What are my thoughts, my feelings? What am I sensing or experiencing in this moment? Do you need to practice that to build into your routine and rhythm times where you sit and connect with your own physical self again, thinking, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? What am I sensing in this moment? Maybe you need to start to practice a skill like mindfulness or contemplative silence to help you do that. You know, we have a Zio group at the moment called Finding Stillness, which is all about that. Maybe you could follow some of the practices that they're teaching or, or find some books or uh, podcasts or apps that teach this sort of contemplative practice to grow your attention. And number three is about attitude. And this is about how we respond in those moments. What is your priority order? And where's God in that? Because there are so many distractions around and almost inevitably those moments that God speaks will be times when there are other challenges, other distractions, other draws for your attention. And the question is, have you made a decision to say, this stuff really matters, I want to be interruptible? Have you given God permission to interrupt you? For me, I find journaling really helps here and the routine of regularly doing this, of stopping, of praying, of reading my Bible, of listening to God, but also of keeping notes, keeping a record of the things I feel that God is speaking and whispering and saying into circumstances or moments or people's lives. And coming back to and recording how sharing that or how that moment has developed or how my sense of what God is speaking has, has grown, my understanding of that has got bigger or better. 
It's going with the instinct I have also to do different things sometimes that God calls me to do. So usually every year I have a Bible in a year that I read. Every year I've done it for as long as I can remember. But this year I'm actually reading a new translation of the New Testament and the Psalms and the wisdom books from the Old Testament. Um, it's called the Passion Translation. And I'm doing that because it felt like a real God nudge to me at the beginning of this year that I should do that instead of what I normally do. And God has really spoken through this. So sometimes we need to make the commitment to be interruptible, to place what God is saying as a priority and to choose to respond to it. So I wonder what out of this teaching, out of what I've shared, but most importantly, out of what God is saying to you, I wonder what you need to make a decision to change. Maybe there's some new stuff you need to add into your routine. Maybe there's some things you need to tweak. Maybe there's some things you need to go back to doing that you used to do. I'm going to pray in a moment. But after I've done that and this video is finished, why not pause and think about what do you need to commit to changing or starting to do? And why not share that with someone? You know, we're so much better at following through on a new plan if we share with someone, if we agree to be accountable with them, to come back to them and say, how are you doing with what you decided to do? Here's how I'm doing with what I decided to do. Maybe there's someone you can message to commit to that with, someone you already meet with, someone new, or maybe someone in your household who you can share that with at this time of isolation. Let's stick to it. Let's decide what we're going to change and let's see what God does with what we offer him. When we agree to make ourselves more interruptible, let's see how God can use that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your grace and your kindness with us, your willingness to walk with us through life, your gentleness and patience as you help us understand Help us journey with you and start to bring together the pieces of your amazing, beautiful picture of all the things that you're doing in this earth that we live in. Thank you that you are patient with us and creative in how you share with and teach us and journey with us through life. Help us now to be wise enough to make the changes that we need to. Attentive enough to learn to notice your voice and to have the right attitude to give you our attention when you speak above all the other noise that's in this world. Father God, right now we give you permission, interrupt us, use us, speak through us, speak to your world, bring change, bring more of your goodness and light and life to the world around us. We're grateful for the privilege of journeying with you in this moment, but in all of our future moments, thank you, Lord God, for all that you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen.